This podcast is intended for mature audiences and could be triggering to some. Please use discretion while listening. I'd like to give an extra trigger warning for today's episode. It contains several forms of abuse, including both physical and emotional. When most people think of domestic abuse, the first thing that comes to mind is likely verbal abuse and physical assault. However, research shows that financial abuse occurs just as frequently in unhealthy relationships as any other form of abuse. In fact, a study by the Centers for Financial Security found that 99% of domestic violence cases also involved financial abuse. What's more, financial abuse is often the first sign of dating violence and domestic abuse. Knowing how to identify financial abuse is critical to your safety and security. Financial abuse involves controlling a victim's ability to acquire, use, and maintain financial resources. Those who are victimized financially may be prevented from working. They also may have their own money restricted or stolen by the abuser. And rarely do they have complete access to money and other resources. When they do have money, they often have to account for every single penny that's spent. Overall, the forms of financial abuse vary from situation to situation. Sometimes, an abuser may use subtle tactics like manipulation, while other abusers may be more overt, demanding, and intimidating. In the end, the goal is always the same, to gain power and control in the relationship. The effects of financial abuse are often devastating. Victims feel inadequate and unsure of themselves due to the emotional abuse that accompanies financial abuse. They also have to go without food and other necessities because they have no money. Financial abuse is very isolating because victims often become financially dependent on their abuser. This financial dependency traps them in the relationship further. Without resources, they are unable to see a way out of their situation. It's extremely important that women can identify financial abuse before it escalates and they're stripped of their credit histories and employment opportunities. The following is an overview of the way financial abuse is perpetuated. Some abusers may use all of these tactics, while others may only use one or two. Regardless of whether the abusive person is using one tactic or ten, it's still considered financial abuse. You may be in an abusive relationship if the following applies. Your partner is trying to control your use or access to money that you have earned or saved. Using your assets for their personal benefit without asking. Taking money or using credit cards without permission. Ruining your credit history by running up limits and then not paying bills. Claiming to make payments or bills in your name but not following through. Feeling entitled to your money and assets. Demanding that you turn over your paycheck, passwords, and credit cards expecting you to pay for their bills or their obligations. They offer to help you with your budget or financial decisions as a cover for gaining control over your finances. In the end, financial abuse is not something that gets better with time. In fact, it often escalates and leads to different types of abuse in the future. I'm Rachel Meadowcroft, and you're listening to It doesn't end here.
here's Kayla's little sister, April. I asked her how she felt about Kayla moving to California and if Kayla mentioned that she had met somebody within the first few months of living there. Well, I knew that me and my family were just kind of a little uh, hesitant about Kayla moving to California. I mean, we are Midwesterns. Most Oklahomans don't understand the California lifestyle and don't usually like the California lifestyle. So we're like, oh gosh, an an Oklahoman going to California, it's going to ruin her. And that's like all our family that was in our heads. Like, oh, well, say goodbye to Kayla. And I didn't even know, but I guess she'd always had, she always dreamt of living in California. And I didn't even know that about her. I mean, I know she had like California posters, but I thought, oh, well, she's like in the Hollister and Abercrombie phase. (laughs) Like everybody like loves California. Did she tell you that she was moving in with him and selling her car and all of that? Yeah. When she said she was moving to LA with him, I was like, okay. But I knew that's where she wanted to be. It was, was LA. So again, I just see her as, you know, leaning on him as a crutch, like he's her crutch. So I didn't know how serious it was, but I was like, this is an older man and Kayla's an attractive young woman. That is all I saw the relationship is a lot of guys just see her as a pretty face. Nobody gets to know like the heart of Kayla and and how caring she actually is. This point in our relationship, I had fully moved in with him. It was June, July of that same year, you know, six, seven months after meeting, which is a very short amount of time and definitely don't recommend that (laughs) to anyone. But uh, I had sold everything and sold my car. I sold most of the things or left the furniture I had in the room for the next person moving in. And it was just no turning back at that point. So this time also, I will fully admit, and he was fully aware that I was a project. There was, I had no business being in a relationship, like a committed relationship with my mental and emotional state. I was not, you know, a strong, independent, I can fully support you and be there for you, you know, and mentally or emotionally in any way. I was, I felt like he was just like holding me up at all times, just holding on to me and like having to keep me up, if that makes sense. So I don't know if that was, you know, on purpose, if he saw that in me and knew that I was vulnerable and naive and young and in a position where I couldn't make a lot of my own choices or be in control of a lot of things. And that's why he scooped me up. He was helping me emotionally. And at this time, I was so unaware of what I know now, like looking back, I mean, he was pinpointing things that I was doing and he could see in me like how just emotionally distraught I was from like past trauma and unresolved things. And he would, he would, he would sit and we would talk for hours and he would talk me through things and he'd have to like pull it out of me of like, what is going on? And I'd be like, I don't know what's going on. I'm just 
crying. I'm just emotional all the time. I'm depressed all the time. And so he was at that point helping me try to figure out at that point in my life and work through things with me that I'd gone through. Yeah. And for you, communication is a big thing. So going from not really talking about your feelings for so long and then having somebody to open up to fully, that probably was really therapeutic for you. You're right. I mean, growing up, just growing up in general, I was, my parents did not, you know, encourage me to express my feelings or emotions. And then my relationship and my marriage was, oh my God, just horrible communication. (laughs) So then I meet this person that's like complete opposite, just wants to talk. And so it was a lot of mental resistance with that, but I did like it because I was like, this is what I want. I just don't know how to do it. So it was just a lot of practice and a lot of talking. that kind of leads us to the next point of like right before I moved in, he had taken a job and it was in the fitness space, even though he was trying to get out of that, but it was with a prominent person in the the industry. And I think he saw it as a way to supplement what he really wanted to do with um, building the business. And so going into moving in with him, the the deal was like, okay, so I'm going to work this. And he would always like get way ahead of himself and say, well, this is going to happen. So right now we can do this when really like, who knows if that's going to happen. <laughs> so the deal was for me to move in, he was going to make such and such money because he played it out in his head. Well, if I'll, I'll get this times this equals this. So I was like, you can still work on the business and I'll just support you and the house and help you with, ever, with, with whatever you need. So that was kind of the deal. It sounded very nice at the time, but that quickly, you know, did not work out. He was about six to seven months into starting this business and it was going to be this huge enterprise. So he had a handful of people on board with everything, me, including like this whole thing. You know, we have people, you know, starting to get in the works on this. There's things just going back and forth. It is progressing, I you know, but and he has this job that he only works couple hours a week, but he's making good enough money, but it still just never grew. Around that time, it was time to go to France for your wedding. (laughs) And of course, I'm freaking out because I'm like, okay, how are we going to do this? Like, we're we're really making any money to pay the bills. How are we going to go on a trip to France? My grandma had to pay for our flights to get there. We asked her, hey, we need to book these flights just to make sure that like we're guaranteed to get there. Like I have to, I have to be there. And he wanted to come. So my grandma ended up paying for our flights to get there. This the one way. And I was like, okay, well, we got that taken care of. We'll make we'll save up the money to pay her back. Just super stressful. Financially, we were barely getting by. I'm a nervous wreck, you know. I'm trusting this person to like take care of me and us. And it just seemed to make things worse. The biggest instance that we had, and one of the biggest instances we ever had was right before leaving for France, we had a a very significant physical altercation that ensued. I don't know what it is about these big events, but (laughs) we always get into these big blowouts right before something big, like me moving in with him and the huge fight about the me going to dinner with a guy friend. And then now we were just discussing our travels and our budget and 
we're just, you know, we barely have anything to work with at this point. And we were just laying in bed and I was just saying how I wanted a new pair of walking shoes. But I, <laughs> I don't know why that was such a huge deal. I was like, even if I just spend like $30 and that's, I just remember that is how the conversation started. It was just like me saying, I wanted a pair of white shoes. Yeah. You're like, let me go to Target and just get some shoes. A little tiff. We broke out. We were arguing back and forth. And then that turned into, he somehow ended up on top of me laying down. I remember slapping him in the face because I was like, get off of me. And I slapped him in the face and I ran to the bathroom, which was a short couple feet away and slammed the door, closed the door. And then I just sat on the toilet, just trying to get away from the situation. And there was not a lot of room to go anywhere. He busted through the door. His face was bright red. I'll never forget the look on his face. And he picked me up by my shoulders and threw me into the bathroom wall. There was a huge hole on the wall that he later covered up. Um, had scratches on my arm. I took a picture of both things. I have, took a picture of myself with the scratches and, you know, the hole in the wall. Obviously, at this point, I'm hysterical. <laughs> I mean, I was just a wreck. <gasps> I don't even know what I was doing, honestly. Uh, I'm, I, I just remember saying, I'll, I would never, I told myself I would never be in a relationship with someone like you. You know, he's obviously apologizing and crying and and all that. So God, I just remember I did not want him to come with me. And we already had our one-way flights. And I knew I was stuck because I knew I couldn't be like, okay, well, you're only going to pay for my flight back because we still didn't have our returning flights. Two days before leaving, we didn't have our returning flights because we were waiting on money that he was owed. I really wish I could have just been like, you're not coming with me. But I didn't have any money to book my own flight. (laughs) So I had to, and he wasn't going to be like, okay, yeah, sure. I'll book your flight and give you spending money to go to Paris. So there was no way that was going to happen. So I had to push all of that situation to the side, make up, just put on a happy face so I could get to France so I could get to my best friend's wedding. I was completely in the dark about all of this. I I was obviously really excited to see all of you because it had been a really long time. Um, and we were in France. You know, we were all together as kind of mixing my English friends and all my American friends. They were all meeting for the first time. So I was kind of in my own world. When you guys pulled up, he, Mr. Wannabe, just walked right by me, didn't even give me a hug or anything. He just was not that happy. So, you know, I didn't really care about him. I went straight to you. <laughs> we were we were fine. We were happy. We went upstairs to put away your stuff and to show you around. And within the first 30 minutes, my red flags were kind of already going off. You were not acting normal. I mean, you were happy and you seemed happy to be there. But I don't know. You just Something just seemed a little off. And he was definitely not super friendly. And then the biggest red flag of all is that you didn't have your nails done. This, or everyone listening, is the biggest red flag for Kayla because she is the person who inspired me to start getting my nails done when we were about 18. 
I was very confused. I remember I asked you about your nails and you said that you didn't have time to get them done. You know, originally I had thought you probably broke it on your luggage. So then this made my red flag go off even more because I'm thinking, okay, I've never really seen you without your nails done for the past 13 years, except at my wedding, which is bizarre. So that was the number one thing um, I noticed right away. You know, you, you told me that you just didn't have time. I accepted that and we just moved on. It was a three-day event because everyone flew in, and so we got to spend a lot of time together. The general consensus of most of the guests that I talked to at the wedding was that they really disliked Mr. Wannabe. He was very protective um, over Kayla to the point where he was kind of watching who was talking to her, it seemed like. Um, Anywhere Kayla went, Mr. Wannabe was right behind her like her little shadow. On the second day of the wedding weekend, we woke up early to go on a wine tour. At lunch, we sat down and we started looking through all of the photos that we had taken throughout the day. Kayla pulled up the picture that I had took of her. She was standing in front of this large chateau and she was kind of, you know, looking over her shoulder. Well, Mr. Wannabe was sitting next to Kayla um, and he was overhearing this conversation and he looked over her shoulder and looked at the photo kind of pointing at her chest in the photo. And he said, that's the first thing we're going to fix when we get home. I thought, surely I didn't hear him correctly is what I thought. I said, what was that? You want to fix her boobs? He said, yep, that's the first thing that we're going to do when we get home. And honestly, I was just sitting there. I was just shocked. I was absolutely shocked. And Kayla didn't say anything. She just sat there. You know, she was kind of smiling, but I could also tell that she was embarrassed. There were about five women sitting at this table, and all of us heard him say this, and we all sat there and just stared at him. Disbelief of what he had just said, and also kind of in disbelief at Kayla's reaction. You know, no reaction is a reaction, and it's not the reaction that I'm looking for out of my girl, who I know is normally quite fiery and feisty. You know, she would not normally let somebody talk down to her about her looks. I didn't know what to make of it. You know, I was very confused. I was very concerned because I've never heard a man just disrespect his girlfriend so openly in front of a bunch of other women and not care, not care one bit that we were all just sitting there staring at him. Like, Do you not think, like, could he not see that we were all visibly upset with him, like, for saying that? And he, he didn't care. I mean, he just sat there and just continued to eat his food and just went back to looking at his phone. Here's Stacy as she recalls the wedding weekend and spending several days with Mr. Wannabe. Very first impression of him. Um, I think my jaw like literally hit the floor. He had a lot of stories that I knew were complete bullshit, to be honest. I mean, stories that had to do with in the medical field where I am very, very familiar with that I knew were not accurate, that were very, um, they were just blown out of proportion, falsified, I guess, to make himself sound better. So to me, he was just like Mr. Showman or a liar. And I just, 
I don't like that. I, I was kind of like, you don't need to one up anybody here. We're all real. We're friends. Like, you know, I didn't, I didn't like that. And again, I tried to like rationalize it a little bit and think, okay, maybe it's just, he's uncomfortable. These are new people he wants to impress. And so I would just like sort of give him the benefit of the doubt over and over and over. But I mean, an entire weekend with him, nothing changed. It's like, I mean, he, he was very um, possessive of Kayla throughout the weekend. He wouldn't leave her side. If she did, it was like she was in trouble. Um, I mean, grabbing her arm and pulling her into a room and, and it's just sad because you know, she wanted to be there with you and with everyone. Um, and I just felt like he was controlling her every single move. I mean, her pictures, she couldn't take a picture, uh, at a beautiful like venue without, Oh, you need to turn around, like stick your boobs out, stick your butt out. Oh you, yeah. You need bigger lips. You need this. Like she's the most beautiful girl ever. <laughs> the fact that her boyfriend was saying anything of the sort in front of anybody or even in private was just, I was beside myself. I couldn't imagine. I don't know. He, he was just using her as like almost like a trophy, but I don't, I guess I'm not finding the right word for it. You know, the way he would make her pose and everything. It was just, he was, she was his like toy like yes you know he didn't value her or see her as a person he was like you are gonna stand next to me and you're gonna look a certain way and you're gonna act a certain way and Mm -hmm. i want you to be have huge huge boobs bigger butt and you're stupid if you think you're gonna drink champagne in france with your best friend on her wedding and have a good time like what are you doing? You know? (laughs) Yeah. How dare you? That's her, you know, like the, the fact that she thought that was her fault, that she had a good time with her best friend and all, all of us, you know, like indulging for one weekend, one night even. That weekend was my escape. I was trying to literally escape my situation that I was in. So we did get very drunk the two nights that we were in the chateau because I was just like, I think I just got there and just so much adrenaline was leaving my body. Just, you know, that and situation only happened two or three days prior. And then I'm still by myself with him. And then I get to you and see all my friends from Oklahoma city that are there and I'm just like, oh my God. And I just like a release of some sort. But I think I was also, like I said, trying to escape my current reality and my mentality. So I got dr- so drunk both nights being in the chateau, like to the point of just blacking out, waking up hungover the next day, missing, you know, half the day on that amazing boat tour that we did. And then the next night was your wedding. And again, got super drunk to the point of, like you said, I like someone stomped on my foot without me wearing shoes. And the next day I didn't even remember, but apparently I was like, what was I crying like about it? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You were crying. You were really hurt at the time. Somebody had like, I think some, another girl with a heel, like high heels on had like walked by and stepped on your, on the top of your foot. I don't remember at all. Talk about disassociating myself from myself all weekend. I was mentally exhausted. I was emotionally exhausted, just super highs and lows going on at all times. 
before and after the wedding events and all that, we had our trip planned just by ourselves in Paris before and after because that's, that's where we flew in and out of. We didn't have to take care of much at the on the on your wedding weekend because you had a lot of just catering done and meals and stuff like that. So, but I do remember we were like low on funds somehow, and I asked my I called my grandma. I think it even ended up costing me like minutes because I called her from you know international out of the country, and I was just like, "Hey, do you mind if we if you like wire us some money?" Because at the time her and Mr. Wannabe had the same bank. So I knew that it would be an instant, you know, wire transfer. I didn't have that bank. So um, I was like, do you mind if, you know, you send us the money and we'll pay you back when we get back? You know, he has money coming in from his work, but we don't have it right now currently. So she was like, oh my gosh, of course. You know, she was like, I want you to have the guys have the best time in Paris. And she was like, how about $3,000? I was like, what? I was like, no, we don't need that much money. Like I was thinking maybe 500, like a couple more meals. And we already had our trip or our flights back, you know? So I was like a couple more meals would be fine. But she insisted and freaking Mr. Wannabe was like, yeah, that's great. And I'm like, oh my gosh. So I already had my hesitations about that. I didn't want her to send, send us that much because I'm already like <laughs> stressed about this, the money situation. And you know, things weren't working out like he said. So there's already like red flags of like, I don't think I should trust him with this. He's only let me down so many times with some like with money and stuff like that. And she already bought your flights there. Yeah, she already bought her flights there. And so I I was just feeling guilty, but she did it anyway. And we only had like one and a half days left. And I remember he splurged on a really nice hotel and we went to a really nice dinner. Uh, when we got back in town, I, we were running errands and we were sitting in the car and I was like, Hey, like how much of that money do we have left that granny gave us? And he was like, well, none of it. And I was like, none of it. I was like, how did you, where did it go? What, what did you spend it on? I was freaking out. I was like, how are we going to pay granny back? Was he just spending that on, was that at the hotel and the couple of those meals? I don't know how much the hotel was. I knew how much the meals, the meal wasn't, but now, um, and so I was like, okay, well, that's probably, you know, a little bit more in dollars and then the hotel, same thing. And then I'm sure we got back in town and maybe he bought other things. Who knows? I don't know. I was feeling so anxious and guilty about that. And I just felt like he could just care less. So I was like, he was like, well, I don't know what we're going to do. I kind of just moved on with it. So me feeling like super guilty and like having to feel like I had to take this upon myself to figure out how to pay granny back like right away. I ended up selling the most expensive thing that I had to my name, which was a designer purse. And I didn't want to sell it, but I knew I could get pretty significant amount for it. And you know, he's not bringing in anything extra where he could just be like, here, here's a grand or here's $500. Like there was no, there's no extra money. I don't, don't remember exactly why I was keeping that a secret from him, but I was doing all of this secretly. I don't remember why exactly what my mentality was behind that. He was controlling all the money and this was the only thing you had control on. And if you told him, oh, I got two grand for a purse, chances are he'd say, okay, give me a grand of that. Oh yeah, that's true. I think I think you're right actually. I think I was like worried that if I got money in, he'd be like, "Well, we need that for this. We need that for this." 
So I was like secretly selling it and I sold it on Poshmark and I got $1,000 for it. That money went into my account. And so I immediately wrote Granny a check. Like she doesn't do the whole like wiring or like Venmo or anything like that. At this point, we were we were somehow like sharing bank accounts. We had different bank accounts, but I don't know. It was like sometimes he would be in the negative and would need my bank account to put money in. So we would be in the positive, right. something like that, where it was like we were sharing debit cards. And we went to breakfast one day and I guess the morning that morning or maybe the day before he had used my debit card and went to the bank to get money. And he had gotten a receipt, you know, how it tells you how much money you have left over in your account or whatever. So we're at breakfast and he's like, hey, like, how much money do you have in your account? So I got on my phone and I remember there was around $1,500 in there somehow. And, but I knew a thousand of that was towards granny. Like there was a check in the mail in the air, like not cleared yet. And so I just told him the amount besides that. So I said, oh, like 500 something. And he just, I just remember him looking me dead in the eyes and just pulling out. He didn't even say anything. He just like got out his wallet, pulled out this receipt and like showed it to me. And it said the actual amount, like it said like 1500 something. And he was like, what's this money? And I was like, well, uh, and so then I had to tell him what I did. I was like, well, I sold my purse and there's a thousand dollars in there right now. And a thousand of that is going to granny. We got into a fight somehow about that because he was pissed off. Because you were actually paying your grandma back? Uh, yeah. I just remember we got in a huge fight about that. I'm like, maybe it's because I lied or whatever. But I was like, I knew if I had this money and I told you how much money I had, it would be gone like right away on something. that. And I, feeling guilty, need to pay my granny back at least something. At least. It doesn't have to be the full three grand, but I need to be like working towards that, you know? It's just because that's another thing that he couldn't control. That's one, that's an area of your life. That's one decision you made on your own that he couldn't control. Yeah. I mean, the fact that he, you know, had to get the receipt instead of just being like, hey, where'd this money come from? And I could have told him and he'd be like, oh, that's really great. Like, thank you so much for sacrificing. Instead, it turned into a fight about him being like, you didn't tell me that you did that. At this point, we're just we're just getting into more and more little fights. I mean, we're stressed, we're struggling, and we're taking everything out on each other. And, you know, he has the shortest views ever. You never know what you could say to set him off at any moment. And so I'm walking on pins and needles all the time. And then combine that with me, who is horrible with communication or having confrontation or settling things in an adult way and having like not letting an altercation turn into a huge blowout combine those two it was just rocket it was just fuel on top of fire well it sounds like you would get in fights about nothing like small the smallest things you know yeah small things little even sentences that i said wrong if we were fighting i was like can you give me a manuscript of what to say to you because i don't know how to what to say because everything i say is wrong like Everything I come back at you with is not what you want to hear. And then you get mad. So what do you want me to say? And I will say it. (laughs) It was at that point where I was like, I don't know what's setting you off. So how do I respond to you right now? A couple more fights ensued. I we got into a fight about my hair one time. I hadn't gotten been able to get my hair done in 
I don't know how long, like over a year or something. And I just wanted it cut and I wanted it colored. I wanted it more blonde. I think even my modeling agency who I was with at the time was like, you need to, you need more blonde in your hair or something. So I was like, I need more blonde. (laughs) And so he referred me to his hairstylist, which is, you know, she's obviously a hairstylist, but she wasn't a color expert. So I go to her, I spend three hours there and I told her exactly what I wanted and it just turned out not good. I mean, it was fully bleach blonde and I wanted it to be highlighted or balayage and it was just, it looked like she just painted my hair white and I was just like, okay. And on he picked me up, he can't, he dropped me off and he picked me up, paid her the money it was a couple hundred dollars. And and on the way home, I wasn't complaining, but because I wasn't ecstatic about my hair, he thought I was complaining. And I was like, I'm not mad. I'm like, it's just not what I wanted or what I asked for or what I would have paid for. A huge fight ensued about that. You know, I, I wasn't grateful that he got my hair done for me. I, we went home and I was looking at rental cars or a train ticket, trying to get go back to San Diego. I don't remember how bad it was, but it obviously it was pretty bad. Even though someone was living in my room at the time, you know, I had subletted my apartment to someone and I was just like, I just need to like get out of here somehow. He just saw that I was getting more serious about, you know, leaving the house and, you know, did his whole spiel, you know, said sorry and didn't want, didn't want me to leave. And, so just like, just stuff like that, where it's just little tiny things set him off so bad. And then it would turn into a huge blowout. After the hair thing happened, I think I was just at my wits end. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to get a job. I need a job. I need my own money. I need a little bit of control in this situation. So I decided to take up online clients again, which I had done in the past and I had done up until I met him, you know, so I already had the experience. Was I mentally (laughs) ready for that or peppy or wanted to do it? Not really, but I had to, you know, drum up this peppy little, Hey guys, I'm going to take on clients again. I am so excited to do this, even though I honestly just literally needed it to survive. So I started promoting for that again. And um, I just, you know, I just needed some money coming in. And at this point, he somehow, I don't remember, I don't know what happened or what ensued, but somehow he burned this bridge with the person that he was working with. So he was done working and didn't have any money coming in. (laughs) So... I had to get a job and pick up the pieces for all that. And all of my money was going towards feeding us and feeding the dogs and paying as much bills as we can could and paying for gas and having a little sense of normalcy with like going out to dinner or getting food or something. And so it wasn't like I could get this job and, or, you know, get, start making my own money and start saving to, to potentially like get me out of the situation I was in. So now the roles had reversed and it went from, Hey, move in with me and I will take care of you. You don't have to work. We're going to make this much money. The business will grow to him losing that job and me having to get a job and then me taking care of him and supporting him. So 
I took on clients and started making a little bit of money. And I don't remember how I found out, but somehow I found out that the rent was not getting paid. It hadn't been getting paid. I heard conversations with him and the landlord trying to explain the situation and what he's doing and and all that. And like, okay, we're, we're going to get the money. And the landlord had owned several properties around us as well. I was just a nervous, anxious wreck. I did not want to leave the house. Before I left the house, I would literally open the window, club curtains and like check and see if she was anywhere around. So I didn't even want to like, I didn't want to be confronted. I had never been in this situation before, so I didn't know how it worked. So what was going on with the business at this time? Were you guys having more income besides just what you were making in order to keep the house? No, we weren't having any more income, but the business was progressing somehow. And we, I guess he had met connections or people, potential investors. So we actually did have our very first pitch meeting for the business in October. And it was you know, a very exciting day. We had a lot of people there. It was a two-hour meeting. It felt like it went really well. We were even kind of mini celebrating, even though we couldn't even we couldn't even go to dinner, I don't think, because we just didn't have money to just like, hey, let's go grab a drink. We just had our first our first investor meeting or anything like that. So we just went straight home. And when we got home, there was an eviction notice on our door the same day. So what did the eviction notice say? How how soon did you have to move out? Well, I don't I don't know. I, uh, that's the thing is I was like, what does this mean? And he literally just was like blank face, just no emotion. No, he was not scared at all. And he kept telling me, you know, the California, they always side with the rentees, like we'll be fine. Like he had had experience with this before because he was not worried at all. He knew exactly what he was doing. But of course, I'm just like, where are we going to go? What's going to happen? We have no money. Uh, so yeah, that was just the highest point and the lowest point all in the same day. Yeah, no, he definitely had experience with this before. If that was his reaction. That's crazy. So when did you guys end up moving out? He was like, we have time. I think he even said like, we have 60 days. And at this point, our, we were crossing over between like, okay, we're having investor meetings. Like we could get money in between now and 60 days. So we weren't really, you know, I don't know. We just weren't trying to make any moves because we were like, well, we could get money in tomorrow. It could be next week. So like, why would we try to rush the process or whatever? So that was just very anxious time for me, just knowing like we're this close, but also very far looking back, like it was just not happening. And so just such high adrenaline all the time. I remember I wanted to know every single detail about this meeting that had just happened. I was like, when are they going to call? When are they going to call? What are you going to talk about? Are they going to invest? Like they were like, Oh, we're out of town this week. We'll, we'll get with you next week. And then that turned into, well, now my partner's out of town. So we'll, we'll talk to you next week. And just every week, nothing was happening, inching and inching our way to the 60 day mark. Long story short, those that first meeting, they did not end up investing. But we are also in the talks of with another just an individual investor that was interested and having, you know, several talks with them. And that was another like fish on the hook. All right. It's still not 60 days. This person is interested. She could be, you know, investing at any point. So we just kind of 
held out and held out. Well, then spontaneously, randomly, he was like, what if we just, this was in December and it was really, really close to Christmas. And I hadn't heard anything else about this eviction or I was like, okay, well maybe it's not 60 days. Maybe it's more like we haven't gotten any other notice. Like maybe we're fine. And he was like, what if we just moved out today or tomorrow Uh, and went to a hotel and put our stuff in storage? I was like, can we even do that? Like, how are we going to do that? And he was like, I can ask my dad if I could put, you know, the hotel on his credit card until we get this investor money. And because we were, I think at this point we were pretty positive it was going to happen. There was just obviously a lot of legal work and paperwork to do. So he's like, let's just move out. And I was like, okay. So we just that day started packing up all of our stuff. We would make trips to the storage, put most of our stuff in storage, obviously. And, you know, I'm not expecting to be in the hotel very long. So I pack a suitcase or two. And that's so on Christmas Eve, we are checking into a hotel (laughs) with our dogs on Christmas Eve. And that's how we spent our Christmas, just moving and waking up without all of our stuff. It was the worst Christmas ever. Come to find out, he had gotten a second notice that I didn't know about. And weeks later, he told me, he was like, well, he's like, we actually had to be out that day. He was like, I knew you would freak out. So I just didn't tell you. And I just acted like I, it was my idea that we should just move out. (laughs) So (laughs) he actually had gotten a second notice and we had to be out by like, I think it was just, I think it was Christmas Eve. We had to be out. Well, I remember that around that time you had started sending me a lot of houses on Zillow that you guys were looking at because obviously you were waiting for this investment money to come through. Um, and I remember that you were just sending me these amazing houses that were at least, you know, we're talking like six plus thousand a month to rent. And then you guys moved into a hotel. So I was a little confused by the situation. Yeah, right. Like, how do we go from being evicted to simultaneously going and checking out these properties that, yeah, yeah, like you said, like in the five to seven grand a month. I was confused myself, but I was like, well, he knows what he's doing, I guess. He's in control. And so we were going to look at places. And yeah, I mean, I fell in love with this one house that I thought we could get. And he had said we could potentially get this. And I, remember putting that little fly, the house flyer on the uh, refrigerator. And I was just like trying to bring this <laughs> to reality. Like, please, I really want this house, please. And it just felt so desperate because of our situation. And looking back, I'm like, how did, was I even thinking that could actually ever happen? But that was what he did. He just, like I said, he was, he would just act like, he would act like the current reality was way into the future. He would say, oh, this could happen. So we would live as though it was happening when it wasn't. I mean, I'm sure my stress hormone at the time was just going off the charts because such high adrenaline all the time, such <gasps> like getting my hopes up and then crash, <laughs> you know? So talk about stress. And that was the, that was only one full year with Mr. Wannabe. All that happened only in the first year. Yep, yeah, but it does not end there. 
In fact, it gets much, much worse. I want to say thank you to Kayla and her family and friends for participating in this series. I also want to say thank you to my dear friend JT for all the music on this season. By sharing this podcast, you may help someone that you didn't even know needed help. 